Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Wonderful, wonderful. Open up your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 9. There's some note paper in your bulletin you can pull out to jot down notes. For those of you in small groups, it would be a good place to write down anything that kind of pops out at you from the message or from the text this morning to share with your groups this week. We based this whole six-week series on one word, compassion. And that word is found all over Scripture. And so we looked at every time that that word came up and the themes that came out of that. And so on your outline here, you'll see five different verses from the New Testament where Jesus shows compassion on hurting people. You can circle the one in the middle, Mark 9.22. So we'll be focusing on chapter 9 of Mark this morning. This morning we have the privilege of not only hearing from the text, but hearing two stories from women in our church who have walked through uh, issues along these lines. And so after we open in prayer this morning, we'll hear our first story, and then I'll come back up and preach on this text. But let's read Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through 29. When they, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him on the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Let's pray together as we open our time in God's word. Father, this morning we are thankful that we are your children, that you have ransomed us and rescued us out of darkness and brought us into your marvelous light. And in the same way that Jesus looked at this boy who was suffering from many evils and he cleansed him and then rose him from the dead in a sense, you've done that to us. You took our sins and you cast them away. You hurled them into the sea because you put them on Jesus who paid for them all. And yet, though we died to our sins, you rose us to new life as well. And we stand with the resurrected Jesus 
and walk and live and move and have our being in him. We pray this morning for those in this room who are hurting or those in this room who know people who are hurting that we would be a community, a faith community that circles around those who need help and cares for them and loves them and brings faith and prayer their way so that they might be rescued or cared for or helped or consoled in their pain. We pray for anyone who feels alone today that you would comfort them and be with them and that your people would surround them and serve them and care for them as well. Pray that you would teach us through your word, encourage us through these stories that we're about to hear, this story even right now that we hear. We pray that you will encourage our hearts and teach us about yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on up. I have a plan for you, declares the Lord, a plan to prosper you and not to harm you plan for a future and hope. I have to keep remembering that. My name is Paula and I'm here today to tell you a little bit about my story. I live with the gifts and challenges of bipolar disorder and I wasn't even going to tell you that. I was going to let you try to guess and figure it out. But um, one of the problems about this illness is that um, there's a lot of stigma around it. That means people think, make judgment about it before they really understand or if even I understand. And internalized stigma is a big gotcha for me. And I was 21 years old when I first started having symptoms of this illness. And the weird thing about mental health issues is they're not really, the only way you know you're having them is because of symptoms. There's not a test you can take and know this. So I had started having symptoms and I didn't know what was going on. So I did the thing a uh, young person often does is often I started drinking and doing drugs, which was totally not helpful. And I continued along, and I'd broken my relationship with Christ in my early teens, and so I had no place to go. So fast forward to um, a, a crazy life. I actually um, have to say that I'd like to tell you that everything w went fine. I was saved again, and, and everything went well, but that's not really how it went. It's been about 30 years, and in the midst of that, there were some pretty trigger moments, and I want to tell you about one that was stigma-focused. I was just, I just graduated with my master's degree and I was going to work with a woman. We were going to do some consulting together. And I went over to her house to talk about how we were going to do that. And she began for some reason to talk to me about how her sister was really blowing up her life because she had bipolar disorder. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, now what do I do? Do I talk about this? Do I, do I not tell? Because, you know, what's she going to think of me? So we, as it went on, I decided, you know, I'm going to tell because I need to tell the truth. And it felt, felt like the right thing to do if we were going to partner. So I told her. And the next morning, I got a call, and she said, Paula, I can't work with you because I only want to work with stable people. And I said, well, good luck finding one of those. <laughs> Actually, I hung up the phone, and I cried. And that's kind of an example of what happens to those of us who live with these issues. And so I'm, and this has really been an opportunity for me, and it actually moved me into an advocate role. And for the last 10 years, I've been doing mental health work around the state of California, but not saved. And it was wonderful work, and people were, lives were changing, but it wasn't grounded in Christ, and it wasn't really, wasn't really working. So the last big blow-up I had in my life was 2012, and it brought me to my knees, and it was the worst experience I've ever had in my life. Hospitalization, um, police, you, you name it, it was going on, and I looked demon-possessed, I have to say. But I was really sick, and what happened was I got to my knees, and finally I was able to, 
um, remember and reconnect with Christ as my Savior. And that has really changed everything. And, and when I went through 301 Transformation Series here at the church, I was asked about my spiritual gift, which is leadership, and I said, let's bring this to the church. Let's bring a mental health advocacy, mental health support for the church. And it's really not happening much in, in, in anywhere, I don't think. And there's like two programs in, around churches in, at least in the, Cal in the Bay Area. So we have the Peace of Mind Ministry, and it's for people with mental health issues or people who love people with mental health issues to tell your stories, to turn the trauma and the drama into your testimony. So I invite you to consider that and to consider your own place in your heart to be able to come alongside, because it's the church's opportunity to come alongside those of us who have issues or to help support them to support them and or to be, be served. And this um, event that we're having on next Sunday, Hope for the Holidays, is an amazing opportunity. In fact, every, when I was not saved, every Christmas I left the country. That's how awful it was for me to be around. I, was, I couldn't have children. I, you know, I did, I'd lost everything. All the stuff happened to me, it felt like. So this Hope for the Holidays is an opportunity to help people that are really struggling during this time of supposed joy when our hearts are broken. So I, I invite you to come alongside with us and have a little peace of mind. Thanks. It takes a lot of faith to stay close to Christ when you feel alone and hopeless and hurting. Getting a little window into what it might feel like to be in a scenario like that, we realize, wow, the, these issues are a lot more complex than maybe I imagined. Or maybe you realize, hey, that's my story. I, I feel alone. I, I feel alone in this room with a thousand people around me because I just feel like what I'm dealing with, no one can understand. The man in, John, or in Mark chapter 9 who brought his boy to Jesus I must have felt that same way. We find him at the beginning of the story quietly sitting there while an argument takes place around him. He brought his son who, who was demon-possessed, who it looks like was suffering with some sort of demon-onset uh, epilepsy or something. That well, it was not just a terrible medical thing he was going through or a terrible psychological thing he was going through, but, but it was evil and there was something inside of him that was trying to kill his son trying to throw him into water and drown him, trying to throw him into fire and burn him to death, trying to take his life from him. And this father had no way that he could help his boy. So the father brings his boy to Jesus, and, and Jesus is not there, and he meets the disciples, and they start to talk, and somehow that talk turns to this argument between the disciples and the crowd and these religious leaders. As we prepared this series... This passage was the most powerful to me out of all the other that we looked up. Not just the six that we're preaching on, but all the verses around them. Everything was this concept of a man who is hurting, surrounded by religious people who are arguing. So I feel like that happens a lot. If I jump on Facebook, I see a lot of religious people arguing about people who are hurting. You hear about something terrible that's happening in the Middle East and... You read the news and you're wondering, well, what do I think about this? And, 
And a lot of Christians, when you go on Facebook, are saying, yeah, I'm praying for this. This is a big deal. We need to surround and and care for people. But a lot of people have opinions, and they're angry, and they're arguing. Sometimes arguing is just kind of what comes out when we feel helpless because there's nothing we can do, but we want to talk about it, and and so we fight about it. Paula had mentioned when we were preparing this uh, Sunday about Robin Williams when he passed away. Now, if you jump on any comment thread on any story that you see, it turns into Christians that are arguing about, oh, this guy's demon-possessed. Oh, this man was sick. Oh, this man was this and that. And it just starts moving from a situation of, of sadness to a situation of bitterness and anger and opinions. And, and I feel for this man in Mark 9 who's standing there helpless with his son who came to God's people for help and everyone's arguing about his situation. Can you imagine how alone you would feel How isolated if everyone's arguing while you're hurting. When Jesus arrives, the crowd (laughs) runs away. It's like, Jesus is here. And I imagine that man probably had a decision on his mind. Do I want to just walk away while everyone runs from here? Or do I want to go to Jesus too? These people are going to see their master, their Lord. They want to surround around Jesus. They've been waiting for him. He's been on the Mount of Transfiguration having an amazing spiritual experience. And so the people want to come and surround him and they just leave this hurting man and his son in the dust. You imagine the kind of faith it would take for a man like this to keep walking with God's people towards Jesus when he's been treated that way. And yet he does. He takes the son and he joins the crowd who are standing around Jesus and he just kind of stands there quietly and waits. This morning you might find yourself hurting. Find yourself in a place where you're surrounded by Christians and yet no one knows what you're going through. And sometimes you realize people are, are arguing about you behind your back or in front of your face. Sometimes, kind of like what Paula said, People start bringing up stuff about the stuff that you're experiencing, and they don't know you experience it. So they're talking about how bipolar people are unstable, and you're thinking, oh, no, should I tell them? They talk about alcoholism. They talk about these issues that sometimes they're medical, and sometimes they're mental, and sometimes they're spiritual, and sometimes they're everything all integrated into one place. And you feel like, if I told these people what is going on in my heart or in my family or in my life, they would judge me the way that they judge everyone else when I'm sitting in this circle, and they don't know that I experienced this. And as you stay quiet... It's easy to feel isolated and alone, even in a crowded room or a crowded small group. And sometimes you wish that you can let people into what you're going through, but sometimes you like to let them think that you're normal. When the crowd gets to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't beat around the bush, which is wonderful. Just the first thing out of Jesus' mouth in this passage is, what are you arguing with them about? What is the source of this argument? I was up on this mountain, and I came down, and I see you, and you're all fighting about something, obviously. What's going on? Why are there religious people and disciples and religious leaders and bystanders? Why are they fighting around here? And the man who had stayed quiet with his son speaks up, and he says to Jesus, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech, Whenever it seizes him, it throws him on the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. It doesn't really sound like something to argue about. 
That sounds like a terrible problem. And it's interesting, Mark doesn't tell us and Jesus doesn't tell us what the content of the argument was. Well, why would a man bringing a child who's helpless to Jesus, why would that cause an argument? And based on the rest of Scripture and based on my own experiences, we can guess at a few things they might be arguing about. This man brings his son to the disciples, and he says, my son is possessed by a demon, and he cast out the demon. I hear you can cast out demons. And the disciples say, we'll try. And so they try, and it doesn't work. Maybe the religious leader said, <laughs> I knew you guys didn't have any real power. And maybe the disciples said, no, 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 I don't know what's going on here. This should be working. And they tried again. They tried again, maybe. Maybe the disciples turn it back on this guy and say, uh, do you have any sin in your life? Now, there's got to be a reason this isn't working, and it's not us, you know. Maybe the religious leaders said, well, the reason this isn't working is because that Jesus you claim to follow is a heretic. Disciples could say, well, no, it's not because Jesus is a heretic. Jesus has power. He can do it. We just can't do it. Well, why can't you do it? I don't know why we can't do it. Now, the reason that we can imagine the type of argument that would ensue is because a lot of us have heard these types of arguments ensue. I've sat with parents who have lost children and I've been told by Christians that their child died because they didn't have enough faith. That if they would have prayed better or harder or differently, the cancer wouldn't have taken their kid. I've heard church leaders say that if you just have enough faith, you can do anything. And we think, well, if, if I have enough faith, then I can fix these problems in my life. And if these problems aren't getting fixed, it must be my fault. And sometimes they say here, no, it's not, it's not your fault that you're that your son's not being healed. It's not your fault that your problems aren't changing uh, in the sense that you don't have enough faith. Maybe there's some sin in your life you need to repent of. Maybe this father was a sinner. Maybe his son had sinned. You know, the disciples had had that question before. What causes people to have issues in their lives? What made this man blind? Did he sin or his parents sin? We're trying to stick our finger on what causes these issues and why we can't fix them and why they exist. And sometimes we argue about these things. And the religious leaders just wanted to disprove the power and authority of Jesus and the disciples. The disciples just wanted to defend Jesus. The crowd was probably just enjoying the thing. And, and everyone starts arguing. It's like first century Facebook comments or something. Well, try this and your son will get fixed. Maybe pray this way. Maybe search your heart like Job. Is there sin in there? There's got to be sin somewhere. God wants to fix it. It's probably your fault or your fault or your kid's fault or the disciples' fault. Or maybe if the religious leaders weren't here, it would work because God hates them. Who knows what they're arguing about? But as this man is pained, religious people argue. Does it pain you when religious people argue? We want to surround people who need care. And sometimes we alienate them by arguing about them in front of them or arguing about them in public or on Facebook or in the world. And Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to Jesus. Stop arguing in front of this kid who's suffering. Start, stop arguing in front of this dad who's pained. Bring the boy to Jesus. That's who he needs. He doesn't need opinions. He doesn't need arguments. He doesn't need fighting. He doesn't need a bunch of guys in their tunics just punching each other while this kid is suffering. What he needs is Jesus. So bring the boy. Bring him to me. 
Jesus says that phrase that haunts us, you unbelieving generation. It makes us think about what is the connection between our faith and God's working. If we were people who were a believing generation, would things like this not happen? If I had more faith in my life, would my problems go away? Who's the unbelieving generation? Is it this dad who has not enough faith? Is it the disciples who are unbelieving? Is it the crowds that are unbelieving? Is it just everyone who's unbelieving? What is the role of faith in healing? And the Bible does say that faith can move mountains. The Bible says that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell a mountain to go that way and it'll cast itself into the sea. The Bible says that the prayer of faith will heal. The Bible says that if you ask from the Lord, you must ask and not doubt because he who doubts should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. He's like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So when we doubt, good things don't happen. And when we pray with faith, God works. And that's where the whole source of these arguments happen. We feel like if I just had enough faith, maybe this problem would go away. If I just had a little more faith, my family would stop suffering. Maybe my prayers aren't being answered because I don't have enough faith. And Jesus comes in and says, you unbelieving generation. Faith is what heals. So the boy, or the man, brings his boy to Jesus. And Jesus kind of engages him like a doctor. He asks him the question, how long has he been like this? It's interesting, you wouldn't expect Jesus to have to answer, ask a question like that. And Jesus could just say, zap, and he's fixed, and move on your way. But Jesus starts to engage with this guy. How long has your son been this way? I mean, it sounds exactly like going to the doctor, and you say, doctor, I've got this thing on my face, and it's weird. And the doctor says, wow, how long has it been like that? I've had this pain. I've just been limping all over the place, and I can't figure it out. And the doctor says, when did it start? What was the thing that caused this? And And Jesus starts to engage like a physician with this boy. And we know that God is the great physician, that Jesus came, and he has the power to heal, and he engages this guy. He doesn't just zap him and send him on his way, but he starts to build a connection with this man and start to ask about his pain, about his suffering, about what he's going through, about his child. And he asks him, how long has this been going on? And sometimes even when we're not arguing, we're so quick to offer solutions to people that we don't take the time like Jesus did to engage with what's going on. Wow, that must be hard. How how long has it been like that? We get scared that it might bring up some sensitive issue if we talk to them about their grief. And so we kind of just said, wow, I'll be praying for you. But Jesus engages in this guy's life. And before he just fixes his son, he says, let's talk about your son. It must be hard to be a dad with a son that's experiencing something that you cannot fix. How long has he been this way? And the father says, from childhood. The father clarifies it's not just epilepsy, it's not just a medical issue, there's, there's severe spiritual stuff going on here. Because whatever's in him throws him into fire and water, tries to kill him. And even when the boy first comes to Jesus, he immediately goes into a seizure. You know, sometimes people argue, is this just a physical thing or a spiritual thing? A lot of things are a lot of things. A lot of issues are integrated on a lot of realms. A lot of issues are just medical things. A lot of issues are spiritual things. A lot of issues is a big mess of a lot of things. And with this, son, with this child, it seems like he had a spiritual issue that was manifesting itself in a physical way and affecting him in a way that caused something that looked like what we call epilepsy. 
And yet there was something demonically scary about this epilepsy because it was pointedly directed in trying to murder this kid. And it was spiritually onset. When this boy comes to Jesus, he just goes into a seizure. And the man asks Jesus, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This man who's kind of gone through it over the last few minutes now comes to Jesus and says, hey, your disciples couldn't do anything. I want to see my son change. If you can do anything, please have pity on us. Have compassion on us. Feel for us. Have that emotional connection to us that I have for my son. Have that on my son as well. And do what you can if you can do anything. Jesus says, if you can, everything's possible for the one who believes. Here it comes again, the faith thing. If you believe, your son can get healed, Jesus says. On one hand, Jesus is the one who believes. We know that. Everything's possible for Jesus. But he turns it back on the Father and says, what your son needs is your faith right now. Do you have it? And the man prays the, prays the most honest prayer in, Bi- in the Bible. I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus, I believe. Like, but I only believe this much, I think. I need more. I have unbelief too. It's like they exist at the same time. I have belief and I have unbelief. And I want just this and not that. So I, I have this. But can you somehow take this away and turn it into this, Jesus? I believe Help my unbelief. And that doesn't sound like a prayer of faith, does it? A prayer of faith would be like, I believe 100%, Jesus. There's no wavering in my soul. I know you can heal him. You can do this, right? And sometimes we pray that way, trying to prove to ourselves and prove to God that there's no doubt in us because we're scared that if we show weakness to God, he won't help us. But this man doesn't pray that way. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's there too. I don't know if that's okay, but it's there. When Jesus saw the crowd was running back, just didn't seem to care for crowds too much. He rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand And lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. The crowds dissipated. The man and his boy went away, and the boy was free from his suffering for the first time. Fathers rejoicing, and Jesus retires with his disciples into the house to have the elephant in the room conversation. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, "Um, (laughs) why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus had given the disciples power to cast out demons. 
Jesus tells us, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to you, so go and make disciples. Uh, Jesus said, I have authority. I give it to you. Whatever you bind on earth, we bound in heaven. Whatever you loose in earth, we loose in heaven. You can act as my messengers, and you can bring the words of life to people, and I will change them. You can bring the gospel to people, they'll be transformed. You can pray for someone, and they might be healed. You can do amazing things in the name of Jesus, and you have the same power of Jesus in you. The power that raised him from the dead lives in you. And the disciples say, so how come we couldn't do this? How come when we tried to get this kid's demon out, nothing happened? But when you speak to the demon, it goes away. Jesus says, well, this kind of demon... This kind can only come out by prayer. It's like, oh, okay, take it now. It's prayer. We've got to pray next time. It's funny. If you read the story, though, Jesus doesn't pray in this story. The crowd is not, like, gathering around having, like, this prayer time for this boy that we know of. The religious leaders don't repent and fall on their knees and say, God, what are we doing here? We need, to, we need to bring healing to this boy. There's not a prayer vigil. There's no prayer that you see anywhere in this passage. The only thing that even seems like a prayer in this entire story, the only time that anyone speaks to the God of the universe and asks him to do anything, the father says, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief is the only prayer in Mark chapter 9 that I see. Yet Jesus says the reason this demon cast out is because prayer is what did it. Funny, the prayer that we would be scared to pray because we feel like it's not faith-filled enough to be effective is the prayer that changes everything. The Bible talks a lot about the prayer of faith. James chapter 5 says if anyone's sick, you should go to the elders of the church and they should pray for him and the prayer of faith will heal the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, James says. Yet a lot of times we think of the prayer of faith and we think that there's something really powerful in the way we pray. Like, God, change him, change him. You think of the prophets of Baal where those prophets are just saying, God, hear us, God, hear us, God, hear us, God, hear us, God, hear us. And Jesus says, don't pray like those types of people. When you pray, just ask God for what you need. He hears you. You don't need to repeat yourself. You need to chant. You don't need to cut yourself. You don't need to get God's attention. You've got his attention. Just ask simply. And sometimes we think that prayer is what needs to come up a notch. If I just believe harder, if I just believe more, if I just believe stronger. But the problem is we can't control how much we believe. If you don't believe in God, you can't make yourself believe in God. If you don't believe that your son is going to be healed, you can't just make yourself believe that. And it might be foolish to just believe that. So how do you know what's going to happen? The prayer of faith that changes lives in this passage is the prayer, I believe, help my unbelief. It's a prayer that simply comes to God and says, God, you, you are the one who can change this, and, and I really want to trust you with this, but I have a hard time trusting you with this. God, I, I pray that not only will you change my circumstances, but I pray that you'll give me more faith, that you'll give me more belief. That you'd help me to be someone who walks with you because if you heal my son, that would be amazing. But if you don't, I'm going to need more of your grace. I'm going to need more faith to walk with you because times are hard and will get harder. I need faith and I have it, but I need more. And I have anti-faith too. So take that away. Add it to this side. Do what you need to do. You're in charge. I give it to you. That's the prayer of faith that this man prays. I believe. Help my unbelief. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more that this is the type of prayer that I pray. 
Because I realize I can't conjure up faith. I can't pretend to believe something's going to happen when I don't know if it's going to happen. My child was going through something desperate or going through an illness or going through a hard time in their life. I'd want to be able to say, God, I believe you're going to heal him. How do I know God's going to heal him? I believe God can heal him. I do believe that. And sometimes I believe that God is not powerful enough to get my son. And I know that's wrong, so I need to repent of that. I believe, help my unbelief. To take the little bit of faith that I do have and use this and take this restless stuff and throw it away. I want more of this. Jesus said, if you were a person who had enough faith to move a mountain, you know how much faith you'd have? A mustard seed of faith. A tiny bit of faith changes everything. It's not about how much faith you have. It's about what you do with it. This man took the little bit of faith that he had and he realized he didn't have much and he just brought it to Jesus and The effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Some of us in here are dealing with big things, things that we know we can't fix and we want God to fix. And yet when we come to him, we say, God, I I believe in you, but sometimes I have a hard time. Help me with that. And you know what? That's a great prayer to pray. Some of us know people who are going through a hard time. And we have a hard time engaging with them because we're scared they're going to ask us why questions. Why is God allowing this? Why is not God doing anything? Why is this not working? And you don't know what you'll say. You're scared you're going to say something stupid like because you don't have enough faith or because you have sin in your life or because you didn't pray right. And you know that's wrong, but that's the only answer you have. Don't bring them those stupid answers. Just go to them. And you can say, hey, I believe God is real, but sometimes it's hard to believe when we see things like this. I get that. It must be hard to be going through this. How long has your child been going through this? How long have you and your wife been going through this issue? How long has your family been fighting like this? How long have you suffered with that disorder? That must be so hard. Tell me about that. Instead of surrounding them with opinions or arguments or facts or fixes, Let's be a community of people that surround them with love and with faith and with prayer and with ears that listen and hearts that are open and accept. you imagine how powerful it would be if we were a community that just rallied around anyone who was hurting? If somebody said, hey, I've never told anyone this, but I I suffer with bipolar disorder. Oh my, how long has it been like that? Oh, uh, it's, it's been like that this long and that long. Wow. That must be hard. It is hard. Is there a way I can pray for you? Yeah, sometimes there are triggers and you can pray for that. I will pray for you. I want to bring you to Jesus. Have you prayed before? Have you ever talked to God before? No, I feel like God doesn't want to talk to me until I fix my life. That's not true. You, You can pray to him. I don't think I have enough faith. You don't need a ton of faith. Jesus says a mustard seed of faith can move mountains into the sea. Just come to him and be honest like this man did and say, I believe. Help my unbelief because that needs fixing too. And what if God doesn't answer? I don't know. Sometimes he does what we ask him to. <laughs> and sometimes he does other things, and that takes faith too. But I'm here for you as you walk through this journey. And we want to be a community that surrounds you with love, not opinions, not anger, not bitterness, and not absenteeism. Now this morning, if you don't know Jesus... You've never come to him and said, Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus, I think I believe in you, but so many questions unanswered, all those different things. You can take 
a lesson from this guy here who came to Jesus and brought him what he did have. And that prayer of faith, the I believe, help my unbelief prayer, was strong enough to change the life of his family forever. And Jesus might treat you like that little boy and remove the sin from you. And you're going to feel dead. And then he's going to bring you life. Because Jesus is not only the one who believes, but Jesus is the one who died and rose again. That's why he has power to to give life. Because he's God. He has power over his own life and our lives too. So bring what you have to God. And bring other people to God. Bring the little or the big faith that you have and speak it Godward. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power for you if you're a believer in Jesus that raised you from the dead, is the power that's in you to speak life into the people around you. It's the same power God uses to change the lives of the people in our community as we gather around them with love and support and care. Let's close together in prayer. And then let's hear one more story of a life being transformed by Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are people who believe. And we pray that you would help our unbelief. Help us to live in that humble tension between knowing what we believe and what is true and being honest that sometimes we don't believe it. Thank you for showing us as your son walked this earth. That you're not looking for people who have it all together. You're not looking for people who have all the answers. You're not looking for people who can conjure up enough faith to be effective. But you are the one who is effective. You are the one who transforms. You are the power that changes lives. And all you require of us is that we would come to you in humility and ask you for what we need and trust that you are the one who has power to give it. We admit to you that we believe you can change things and and yet we struggle with unbelief when we see that you choose not to change things sometimes. And we don't know how that works and we pray that you would help us not necessarily know how you work in that sense, but that you would help us to Accept from you what you give to us and continue to go to you and trust in you and ask you for the things that we need even when we feel like you're not there because we know you're there. Help us when we know, don't feel like you're there. As we hear this story of the way that you worked in a woman's life, we pray that you would encourage us and transform us and help us to understand how life with you works. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. My name is Linda, and I am, it is my pleasure to be here with you to talk to you a little bit about Embrace Ministries and my story. First, I want to ask you, do you have a story? Most of us do have a story. Most of us live in our story every single day. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy loads, and I will give you rest. I had a story to tell you today about myself. And I had the great pleasure of being able to walk to church today. So I walked, I got up early and I 
on my way and I live about 30 minutes. It's a 30 minute walk for me. But I have a lot of energy. So I needed to calm down a little bit because this is nerve wracking to me to be up in front of you. Telling my story is important, but God had a different plan. And like many of you, I use Facebook to put out my need for prayer. I have uh, two brothers who are pastors, and we agreed as a group that if we were going to be on Facebook, that we were going to bring God to Facebook, and we were going to lift people up on Facebook. And even though that there, there is a community of non-believers out there that use Facebook also, we were going to be that seed. I put that out. Please pray for me. I have to stand up in front of two congregations today. <laughs> and a pastor friend of mine wrote back simply, Holy Spirit, come. As I walked up the hill, and it's quite a hill to walk up to this church. <laughs> I'm trying to stay nice because I have to stand in front of people. I'd love to be sweating and working out coming up that hill. But Jesus slowed me down. Gentlemen came up just at the base of that hill. I was in two, within 200 feet of getting in here free and clear. Not going to happen. Down at the base of that hill, a gentleman came up. Excuse me, excuse me. Can this church give me help? I'm going to have to speak to that pastor that said, Holy Spirit, come. I turned around, and here's this gentleman. The first thing he did is reach down to his chest and pull out this huge white cross and show it to me just to let me know I was safe. I was okay. Jesus said, come, Holy Spirit, come. As we walked 200 feet, he spilled out a story to me. 200 feet. He has a child. He has two children. One of the things that he said to me that struck me like lightning was he looked down at the ground a man cannot serve two masters. I realized at that moment, oh, man, the seed was planted. What could I say to him that would bring him more than that? When you deal with pain in your life, which he had obviously dealt with, addiction, pain, suffering, what more could you understand then serving your pain is not where redemption comes from. Serving your pain reduces you to that pain, limits you. God can't use you. He has to keep working on you, bringing you to a place where you have nothing and you have to reach up to him. That's where this man was. I walked that 200 feet with him and carefully brought him into the men's ministry and introduced him and there he went and I went on my way, I shook his hand, blessed that he had a story that he could tell me within 200 feet and in that 200 feet, he already had the seed. I had that in my life. I lived many years 
in the pain and shame of my childhood and built foundations in that pain, chose in that pain, until Jesus grabbed the hold of me, Holy Spirit, come. And he told me, you are worth more than your pain. I'm not telling you to forget what has happened to you. I'm telling you to embrace it. Learn how God can use it. I may not have been able to have that man cross my path if I didn't have a life of reduction before. I was reduced to pain just like he was reduced to pain. I was able to see him. See him as a man, not as just a traveler that's bothering me or I wanted to run up the hill instead of walk. I felt safe because the Holy Spirit was with me. I feel safe every day because in Isaiah 4.2, it'll tell you, on these, on those living in the land of deep dark darkness, a light has dawned. In your story somewhere, a light has dawned. I'm asking you to embrace it. I'm asking you to let God show you how he can reap a harvest from all of your pain. Embrace is here every Thursday at 7 o'clock in D1. We'll also be at Hope for Holidays, Hope for the Holidays, next Sunday. There are many women that are out here today supporting me because they know I talk to them about this embrace, in Embrace and how scary this is for me to stand in front of people and, and think that I have a story that's going to be important. I want you to tell your story. Live through the resurrection and redemption instead of the reduction of your life. Thank you.